Whenever people think of lawsuits or suing someone, they usually think of going to trial. I mean, you see it on TV all the time, but the reality is most civil suits don't even get to trial. Often, attorneys and their clients turn to something called alternate dispute resolution, or ADR. ADR is an umbrella term which effectively covers any means for the parties to avoid or bring an end to a lawsuit. Negotiation is an example of ADR, or mediation is another example of this. And there are plenty of other examples that would take more than an episode to name and explain. But today, we'll be looking at arbitration, because honestly, I can virtually guarantee that you, the listener, have signed a contract with an arbitration clause in it before. Whether it's the terms and conditions for your cell phone service, or your Wi-Fi, or even your music streaming of choice, chances are good that you've waived your right to a jury trial at some point. But what is arbitration, and why is it so scary as a consumer or an employee? I'm Megan Campbell, I am recording this from my closet, and this is Stupid Simple Law. Now, I'm not an expert, right? That's that's kind of why I'm, I'm doing this and hope to one day go to law school. But in order to get a better understanding of what arbitration is, I spoke to Jackie Serna, the Deputy Legislative Director for the Consumer Attorneys of California. She works specifically in consumer and employment issues, including forced arbitration. Could you give like a basic definition of what arbitration is for people who maybe have never heard what this term is before? Sure. So... There's basically two types of arbitration. There's arbitration where you enter into it freely. Let's say you and I have a dispute. Uh, we want a legal way of deciding who you know, is right and wrong or who gets what in that dispute outside of the court. So then in that case, we can choose as two people of semi-equal power, semi-equal background um, to enter into an arbitration agreement and have this third party decide the dispute and be bound by it. Now, what, I, what we work against is forced arbitration, which is a very different type of concept because it's basically without you even knowing it, without you ever having seen it, realized you signed it, realized you clicked it, whatever it is, you're bound that by this agreement, we'll call it, but you're bound by it and you've given up your rights, your legal rights to go and seek redress in a court of law. The arbitration process looks something like this. Let's say I purchased some headphones from this company, Orange. I like the headphones, but one day they spontaneously combust and I get severely burned. So I decide to sue the headphone company because the headphones definitely weren't supposed to do that, and now I have medical bills to pay to treat my burns. I could be in the hospital for a while, and I can't go to class or work. In a perfect world, like Jackie described, the company and I may mutually agree to arbitrate. We select the arbitrator together, we select the rules together, justice is served, all that jazz. But more than likely, the headphone company has already put an arbitration clause in the terms and conditions I signed before I bought the headphones. So not only am I obligated to arbitrate, but they can also set a bunch of other rules. They can say which arbitrator we use how many witnesses I'm allowed to bring, or limit the evidence I can provide. They can tell me where the arbitration's taking place and what laws or rules we're following. And when this is all said and done, you know, let's say I went to Los Angeles, had testimony from my two allowed witnesses, only showed my hospital bill as evidence, 
the decision that the arbitrator makes is binding. That means I have no right to appeal this decision unless there is a substantial prejudice for one party, b the decision violates some existing law, or c the decision exceeds the powers of what that arbitrator can tell us to do. Arbitration isn't a new concept by any means. In fact, historical figures like King Solomon or Alexander the Great were arbitrators. But this form of ADR didn't really become popular in the U.S. until the 20th century. It was developed in the 1920s or so between unions and companies because a union has a, a lot of power as you know, a collective of people. And so they were able to collectively get um, cer certain um, a balance of power and you know, ask for certain things in an arbitration proceeding. And so that's kind of where it started. She's talking about the 1925 Federal Arbitration Act, enacted by Congress. This law essentially states that arbitration agreements involving interstate commerce can be considered valid and enforceable. This policy cements that arbitration is legal and can be used in nearly any kind of contract. The states also have made their own arbitration laws since to assert this validity. And over time, arbitration clauses in contracts became more popular. I mean, looking from an employer's or corporation's perspective, what's not to like? Arbitration's often faster, less expensive. Juries can be unpredictable, and they can favor employees and the sympathy argument over facts. Arbitration gives these companies the opportunity to literally set the rules of the dispute. And in 2011, the Supreme Court gave even more power to these corporations. We'll hear argument first this morning in case 09893, AT&T Mobility versus Concepcion. The year is 2002. Liza and Vincent Concepcion sign a service contract with AT&T Mobility for cell phone service, being told they would receive free phones as part of the deal. The contract they sign also has an arbitration clause. However, AT&T actually charges them $30.22 in sales tax, making the phones not actually free. So the Concepcion sue AT&T in a Southern California federal court, accusing AT&T of fraud. The court sees this case and realizes that there's actually a pending class action addressing the same issue. So, pause here. Let's address class action really quick. If you've ever seen those commercials on TV that are like... If you or a loved one was diagnosed with mesothelioma, you may be entitled to financial compensation. They're asking you to be involved in a class action suit. Per Cornell Law's definition, a class action suit allows multiple victims, called plaintiffs, to file a lawsuit on behalf of a larger class or group. Anyway, so the Concepcion case at this point is now consolidated with the class action against AT&T. AT&T is not happy about it. They argue that their contract requires arbitration with the company directly, and therefore bans class actions on this matter. AT&T says this is fine under the Federal Arbitration Act. However, California law at this time says contracts can't ban class action into disputes that either, you know, involve small amounts of damages like this one, or where another party with superior bargaining power like AT&T, quote, has carried out a scheme to deliberately cheat large numbers of consumers out of individually small sums of money, end quote. The federal court sides with California law and doesn't enforce the arbitration clause. The case gets appealed. The appellate court comes to the same conclusion. So then, the case makes its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. There were multiple justices concerned about the implications of this case. If the court said yes, the FAA does supersede state law on arbitration, AT&T's clause banning class actions would be considered valid. 
Ultimately, the majority of the court decided, yes, the FAA does supersede state law, and contracts can indeed ban class action arbitration. You know, even though you always hear like bashing of all these lawsuits, because you only get $4 back, like what's the point? Well, the point is that that's the only way to hold that company accountable because you pull it together. Again, it's a collective action, right? And that's how the statute, the class action statutes are meant to function. They're supposed to deter that kind of like small stealing, you know, here and there from people. But now there's no deterrence because for the most part, most companies have arbitration clauses that you're bound by, even if you've never seen it. And banning class actions is a huge deal. Even if the Concepcion's only lost $30, imagine if 999 other customers were also in their position. What might be $30 to you could be $30,000 the company saved where they might otherwise be forced to pay that money out. And, you know, naturally, looking at all these court cases and talking to Jackie got me thinking, God, I've probably signed tons of these clauses. So my roommate and I did some digging. First, we started with Spotify and DoorDash. Yeah, okay, look at that. Right off the bat, there's a mandatory arbitration clause. All right. Yeah, no class or representative proceedings. You can't have a class action, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, What was another place you were thinking of? DoorDash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I pulled up DoorDash. Oh, yep, Ah, literally right right there. We even looked at TikTok, like the place you watch cute dog videos and stupid memes. Yep, waiver of right to bring claims as class actions more than one year after the relevant events. Right to opt out of the foregoing provisions. And the list goes on and on. But it's also important to remember that forced arbitration expands beyond consumer contracts, too. You know, some of the big women that were suing, like Fox News and Roger Ailes for sexual harassment and assault, they were bound by not only arbitration agreements, but gag orders that they couldn't talk about after. (sighs) Okay, that was a lot. Let's take a beat. When we come back... Takeaways for the average contract signer. By this point, we've looked at the arbitration process. We've looked at history and the laws that guide arbitration now. But what should the average person and contract signer take away from all of this? Someone is about to sign a contract and they see an arbitration clause Is there just something specific that they should see as a red flag or should they just try to avoid signing the contract altogether? Is it even worth it to sign a contract with an arbitration clause? I would say that look for um, like an opt out. Some companies still have it. I'm not saying they don't, but it's rare. It's getting rarer. Um, But sometimes they have an opt out period and they give you like 21 days. If you'd like to opt out, send a letter to this address, do it. You know, if it's a cell phone, whatever it is, if you see it, you know, do it if they let you opt out. Uh, if it's in your employee handbook, you know, talk to the empo- talk to the employer about it. What does that mean? What am I, I want to know if, if I do have a grievance, what that grievance process would look like. Who, which arbitration company do you use? Because in California, another thing that we worked on, good law, is that you can look up the arbitrator, the company, and see who's brought cases against them and like the out, the what happened. And so I, I could go look, employment discrimination based on race or whatever against this company and try to find it. It's hard to find because they make it hard to find, but you can find it. That's another thing that we fought for in California and have. If someone is willing to start that arbitration process as a plaintiff, what are some of the first steps they should take in order to start that process? 
I would, I would still seek out an attorney because you don't know if that plaintiff's attorney knows of like 100 other people who are bringing the same action and maybe they want to help represent that group even individually, but there might be like a bigger effort if you seek help from an attorney. They can coordinate, right? That they might help you that way. And all of this stuff sounds pretty bleak and hopeless, but it's important to remember that just because an arbitration clause is there, it doesn't necessarily mean it can't be bargained away or changed. For example, we had like Google workers, you know, in the last maybe two years ago, they organized and they said, we're going to fight against forced arbitration. And because they stood up and they had like walkouts and they, you know, they had movement, a collective movement at Google, they were able to get certain changes to their contract by Google. Just wanted to say thank you again to Jackie Cerna for being on the show. Thank you to my roommate Nan for helping me out. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. If you want more info on arbitration or want to see the resources I used for this episode, check out the description below, and don't forget to subscribe. From Stupid Simple Law, I'm Megan Campbell. Talk to you soon.